Welcome to the Exploring Unschooling podcast. I'm Pam Larickia, longtime unschooling mom and author. Join me and my wonderful guests for interviews, information, and inspiration about unschooling and living joyfully with your family. You can find the episode show notes, your free introductory ebook, What is Unschooling?, and lots more information at livingjoyfully.ca. And here's the show. Hello, explorers. I'm Pam Larickia, and this is episode number 198 of the podcast. It's the 15th of October, 2019, as I record this intro. And here's a bit of backstory for this week's episode. When people join my mailing list, I make sure they get a copy of my free book, What is Unschooling? And I also give them a link to get a magazine style collection of some of my previously published articles. So all my articles are available on my website, but this collection is handpicked and I put them in an order that I think aligns well with the unschooling journey. And then I had a lot of fun putting them together magazine style along with pictures in the PDF edition, as well as creating ebook editions, so both EPUB and Mobi for all the different kinds of reading devices. And now, with more and more people loving audio, I thought it was high time I created an audio version as well. However, with 10 articles, I've split it into two parts. So this is part one, and part two will come out next month. I hope you enjoy it. As a personal update, we went to my mom's for Thanksgiving dinner this weekend and really enjoyed some delicious food. Both my brothers were able to make it, along with their partners and their doggies, which meant it was actually a bit of a dog party as well, with all five dogs hanging out together for the first time. And I would be remiss if I didn't remind you that enrollment for the Childhood Redefined Unschooling Summit closes this weekend, specifically Sunday night at midnight, and it won't reopen until next spring. Now, I really love what Anne, Anna, and I have put together here. We really poured our souls into it. And we continue to do so in our private Facebook group for summit participants. Here's what Tara shared about her experience. She wrote, Nothing has impacted our unschooling lives, our family relationships, and my connection with myself more than the summit. If you're curious, it's definitely worth a few minutes to learn more about it. You can find the link in the show notes or just go to childhoodredefined.com. I would love to meet you inside. And before we get to the articles, I want to take a moment to thank everyone who's chosen to support the podcast through Patreon. And a big welcome to new patron Galena or Galena. I hope I got that right. Hi, Galena. (laughs) I deeply appreciate all my patrons. Your generous support not only lets me know that you enjoy the show and want it to continue, it allows me to spend time creating episodes each week and also to share the podcast archive, now almost 200 episodes, for free with anyone who's curious and wants to explore the fascinating world of unschooling. If you'd like to join my community of patrons and scoop up some great rewards along the way, check out the Exploring Unschooling page at patreon.com. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash exploring unschooling. And this week on Patreon, I sent out the link for October's call to the video chat patrons. So watch out for that and put it on your calendar. And now let's dive into the Schools Out audio part one. 
I wrote this first article for Toronto Life magazine, and it was published in March 2016. Uh, I was actually approached by them to write about our homeschooling experience for their memoir column. I thought it would be a fun challenge, and it was definitely an interesting experience. Of course, they are looking for that unconventional edge to pull in their readers, while I kind of lean towards more connection than confrontation. But the editor and I went back and forth and back and forth again, but we ended up with a column that we were both happy to move forward with. And funny, after it was published, I heard from a few people I hadn't been in touch with for years saying that they'd read it and enjoyed it. So that was cool. Anyway, the article was titled Schools Out. When my 10-year-old was having trouble in class, I tried everything to help. Then I discovered unschooling. That's the kind of tagline. (laughs) My eldest child, Joseph, had trouble fitting into a conventional classroom right from the start. He was more of everything, more sensitive, more emotional, more energetic. Playing Game Boy under his desk helped him concentrate, but it was against school rules. And though his teachers tried to accommodate his needs, there was only so much they could do. The problems intensified when he entered grade four. Joseph exasperated his teacher. What am I supposed to do with them? She asked me. I don't remember what I said, but I remember what I thought. We're done here. I took a leave of absence from my job as an engineer at Ontario Hydro so that I could focus on finding a solution for Joseph. My husband, Rocco, and I transferred him from a public Catholic school to a private school with smaller classes, but he was still very unhappy. The criticism took a toll on his confidence, and he started saying he hated himself. I didn't know how to help him. Then I stumbled across an article that mentioned homeschooling. The more I read about it, the more it seemed like a great fit for our family. My daughter, Lissy, was seven at the time, and my younger son, Michael, was four. Rocco and I felt that all three of them would benefit from homeschooling and decided to try it out for a year. Homeschooling is legal in Ontario, and the process was surprisingly easy. We filled out a few forms, and that was that. We treated the first couple of months like summer vacation. While Rocco was at work, he's also an engineer, the kids and I went to the park, built forts, and played board games and Nintendo. About eight weeks in, I picked up some workbooks for the kids and coaxed them into completing a few pages per day. They resisted. I contemplated. If anything, the schoolwork felt like a distraction. I sensed that they were learning more from their unstructured play than from the time spent writing in their books. That idea aligned with what I'd been reading about unschooling, a branch of homeschooling that rejects the idea of forcing kids to follow a set curriculum. The premise behind unschooling is that people learn best when they're naturally curious and engaged. Unschooled kids wake up when they're ready, choose what to do during the day, eat when they're hungry, and go to sleep when they're tired. The role of the parent is to support their development, not direct it. The philosophy appealed to me. I like the idea of empowering my kids to make their own choices. The transition took some getting used to. Joseph has a passion for video games, and he enjoyed playing for hours at a stretch. I was uncomfortable with how much time he was investing in his games, but I resisted the urge to lay down rules. Instead, I got involved. 
I sat next to him on the couch and cheered him on as he fought bad guys and figured out puzzles. Some of his favorite games integrated elements of Greek and Norse mythology, so we researched those subjects as they came up. He learned to type and spell by chatting with other gamers online. After a while, I realized he was learning all kinds of things. It was like that with the other kids, too. Lissy had struggled with reading in school, but it came naturally once she discovered the Harry Potter series. When she was 13, she picked up a camera and opened a Flickr account. She spent hours learning about the art and science of photography. When Michael was eight or nine, he took a karate class and soon became hooked. He started spending all his evenings at the local dojo, eventually helping teach classes and earning his black belt at age 17. My kids were thriving, without lessons, lesson plans, schedules, or homework. Some of our friends and family members were understandably skeptical, but I didn't give them a chance to criticize. When they inquired about the kids, I told them about all the fun stuff we were up to. If things got awkward, I just changed the subject. Fourteen years later, I have no regrets. My children are amazing people. Rocco and I never had to deal with the typical teenage rebellion. There's not much to rebel against when your parents are helping you achieve your goals rather than coercing you into meeting theirs. Lissy, now 21, moved to New York to launch her career as a photographer. Her work has appeared in magazines and on book covers, and she's won awards and been part of exhibitions in Toronto, London, and New York. Michael's interest in karate grew into a passion for performance martial arts. He's 18 now. He has done some training with a professional stunt performer and is starting to pursue work in film and TV. Joseph, who's 23, is more of a homebody. He spends his time writing stories, chatting with his online friends, and helping Rocco and me maintain our property in Erin, Ontario. The thing that strikes me most about my kids is how self-aware they are. They've had complete control over their bodies, minds, and spirits almost all their lives. As a result, they know exactly who they are and what they're passionate about. And that's something you don't learn in a classroom. This next article was originally published in Life Learning Magazine, the March-April 2006 issue. It was reprinted in a book called Life Learning, Lessons from the Educational Frontier, um, and a collection edited by Wendy Priesnitz of the Alternate Press um, in 2008, and um, Everything Voluntary, From Politics to Parenting, edited by Skylar Collins in 2012. The title is, Whose Goal Is It Anyway? It all started with a plant. My husband was talking about training a plant. Just the right combination of water and fertilizer, the right soil and sun conditions, a bit of pruning here and there, and most likely you'll be rewarded with a beautiful, healthy plant. Like parenting, he theorized. You try to create the right environment for them, love them, nurture them, and you will likely be rewarded with successful young adults. It sounded good, but I was having a hard time swallowing the word training. I'm not training them to be anything. Training sounds like you are trying to get them to meet your goals, not their own. But you don't have any goals for our kids, he asked me curiously. No, was my short answer. 
but the look that flashed across his face spurred me to explain further. Well, I floundered, I want them to be happy. And thinking quickly, because that sounded so zappy, I want them to be able to choose what they want to do in life and feel confident pursuing their goals. Then I had a seemingly obvious thought. The difference between a plant and a child is free will. Think about it. In training a plant, you are training it to your desired outcome, not the plant's. Sure, it looks happy on the outside, nice green leaves and bright, colorful flowers. But if the plant had free will, maybe it truly would have chosen to keep that branch you trimmed off last week. If you try to train a child, even in the most loving manner and with the best of intentions, you are trying to determine their goals, their path in life, trying to mold what they look like on the outside. And eventually that may well backfire. It will certainly take its toll on your relationship. It also manages to subvert learning about choices and goal setting, which is so crucial in life once a person is responsible for their own actions and future. I couldn't get the conversation out of my mind. When most people talk about goals for their kids, they usually mean things like learning to swim, being the best hockey player on the team, or getting into college, things they believe will make their kids' lives better. But whose goal is it, really? Often parents are seeing through the distortion of their own filters, not clearly through their children's eyes. It takes work to recognize and remove these filters, but I have no desire to reshape my childhood by directing theirs. The risk to our relationship is too great. In comparison, my hopes for my children aren't about accomplishments. They are about living. But I guess I do have goals for my kids. I want them to know and understand themselves. I want them to feel confident making choices. I want them to feel comfortable learning any new skills they may need to accomplish their goals. In other words, to feel confident living a joyful life. Not a happy, smiley, surface joy. Everyone encounters disappointment and sadness. But the deep, soulful joy of being satisfied with the direction of one's life, even with its unexpected twists and turns. So why did I choose these goals and how do I help my kids to reach them? To know and understand themselves. I believe a strong sense of self, a deep understanding of who they are, is essential to my children confidently finding their place in our world. If they know what makes them tick, what makes their heart sing, they will be able to search for their niche, that place where they can take great pleasure in making a contribution to society. What kind of things do they like to do? How do they like to learn? Do they like to pursue interests surrounded by others, or they do they prefer a more solitary approach? Do they like their activities to be predictable, or to have a sense of adventure, or an element of the unknown? Over the years, they will probably realize that for many of these traits, it is not one end of the spectrum or the other. They will likely find themselves enjoying elements of both to differing degrees. What is important is that they have time to discover themselves and to realize that they are always growing, their ideas and views changing based on new facts and experiences. School children spend most of each day learning to do what other people tell them, not to mention the plethora of after-school activities and homework that fill up the remaining hours of the day. 
So if they don't get the time to understand themselves and discover their dreams and passions as children, they may need to take it as young adults. How often have we heard of people in their 20s going off to find themselves? And they are the relatively lucky ones, the ones who decide it is important to get to know themselves before they get immersed in the next stage of life, career, and family. Many others just continue to pursue what they have been told will bring them happiness, the good job, the perfect family, and so on. Maybe they will manage to hang on for a couple more decades, though they may wear, as Dean Slider from Cinema Nirana puts it, the drained, dispirited faces of silent adults, post-op cases who have already undergone the freedomectomy. <laughs> I love that quote. <laughs> then the next stage of life hits, and even they may begin to take stock of their life so far and wonder if they are truly happy. The midlife crisis hits. Is this really what I want to do with my life? Am I really happy? Divorces, drastic career changes are all part and parcel of waiting until midlife to take the time to really know and understand yourself, what makes you tick, what brings you joy. So my first goal is to give our children the time and space to discover who they truly are, and then more time and space to discover how their views evolve with age and life experience, to explore what they like to do, how they like to learn, what makes them shine. And always I am near, available to chat about what's on their mind, share my experiences, or provide transportation. I believe giving them the time they need to understand themselves is the single most important foundation I can give them in their search for a joyful life. To feel confident making choices. Freedom of time, so abundant in life learning, also allows our children to gain lots of experience making choices and living the outcomes. From choices as simple as what to have for breakfast, when they are tired and want to go to sleep, to bigger ones like whether to join scouts or the local baseball league, take the time to help them figure it all out. It takes a lot more time to give children choices, to discuss the options, the possible outcomes, time to decide which choice is best for them, than to just tell them what to do. But how else are they going to gain real experience at it? By remembering what choice you made for them last time? What will they do when they encounter a new situation and you are not right there to tell them what choice to make? Many of us grew up that way, our well-intentioned parents telling us what to do instead of discussing our options and ultimately letting us decide, without the guilt trip if we chose a different path. Then we may remember the heady but scary feeling of first being on our own, free to choose what to eat, what to do, to stay up all night, our time truly our own for the first time. But at that point, we had moved out and had to figure it all out on our own. Which choices were truly best for us? Which were we making in reaction to our parents? Which were we making just to get along with our friends? And even with the voices in our heads, and maybe as a result of them, it took quite a while, a lot longer for some. I don't want to be that nagging voice in my child's head as she gets older. I want to spend time with her now, helping her analyze situations, possible options, likely outcomes, and supporting her decision, helping her figure out how to make choices, not what choices to make. 
Then, when she's older, that voice in her head can be her own. Though I won't mind if she occasionally hears my loving reminders that she knows what's best for her, that I trust her. And on the other side of this coin, children who have the freedom to try on different hats, pursue different goals and activities, and discard them when they no longer make sense, do not feel like a failure when choosing to drop something. They see it as another experience from which to learn a bit about something and a lot about themselves. This is a much better attitude than the child who is forced to stay, being told to suck it up and stick it out, who feels powerless and resentful. But the lesson is learned. As an adult, this child is more likely, for example, to stay in an unhappy career so as not to look or feel like a failure, though he will definitely feel trapped. Not the joyful life I hope for my children. Philip Pullman illustrates this point wonderfully in his book, The Amber Spyglass. What work have I got to do then, said Will, but went on at once. No, on second thought, don't tell me. I shall decide what I do. If you say my work is fighting or healing or exploring or whatever you might say, I'll always be thinking about it. And if I do end up doing that, I'll be resentful because it'll feel as if I didn't have a choice. And if I don't do it, I'll feel guilty because I should. Whatever I do, I will choose it, no one else. Then you have already taken the first steps towards wisdom, said Zephania. It sums up human nature so succinctly and describes what life-learning parents are trying to do. Give their children the freedom to determine their own life's journey. And through each choice made and outcome lived, our children gain experience with making choices and in turn learn a bit more about themselves. In this way, my first two goals are inextricably linked, but I believe each is important enough to stand on its own. To feel comfortable learning new skills. My last goal is for them to feel comfortable learning new skills. It is in this area that they pick up the day-to-day skills they need to achieve their goals in life. They want to accomplish something and they are motivated to learn whatever is needed to get them there. Here, they also encounter the more academic skills like reading, math, and writing. And here's another big difference between life learning and school. In school, the focus is on the skills. Learning to read is in itself a goal. Learning the times tables, learning the capital cities, But stuck within the confines of the school's four walls, it is really hard to demonstrate to kids why they might want to learn many of these things. They are completely disconnected from the kids' goals. In school, they are disconnected from life. And without the connection to real-life goals, learning these skills is all the more difficult. Why do I need to know this is a common refrain, and for good reason. They need something to connect it to some way for it to make sense in their world, and with that, gain understanding and real learning. So, at our house, the goal is not learning to read. But if the goal is to immerse yourself in the world of Harry Potter, you'll likely learn a lot about reading along the way. We don't have learning percentages as a goal, but if the goal is to make a well-rounded party that can defeat the final boss in your video game, an understanding of percentages and data management is pretty crucial. This learning is really incidental to the goal, just stepping stones, something to figure out along the way, but it is real learning. It makes sense in their world and has a purpose. 
and they truly enjoy it because it helps them accomplish their goal. Learning is fun. I have heard people exclaim, but what if they don't encounter a skill that they really need to know? To which I say, then obviously they truly didn't need it. It really wasn't necessary. Yet? Or maybe ever? Without the timeline and curricula of schools, there is no start and end to learning. Learning is really a byproduct of pursuing goals and interests in life. And that is a lifelong thing. There is nothing wrong with not encountering a need to learn some algebra until the age of 25. If that's when they find a use for it, that's when they can learn it. And it will make sense and be remembered because there is a real life reason for it. Even in school, if there's no real need for a skill in a student's life, like long division, historical dates, the periodic table, they will most likely memorize it for the test and within a few weeks it is forgotten. It is questionable whether they actually learned or understood it at all. So how do I help my children feel comfortable learning new things? Basically, the same way I help them learn about themselves, by being there to talk to and bounce ideas off of, by sharing what I know, maybe pointing out new connections they may not have yet noticed, and helping them gather more information if they want, and by providing any stuff to help them pursue their interest further. With my goal of helping my children as they learn the skills they need to pursue their goals, they are gaining experience and learning how to learn. I can't predict what they may want to learn someday, but lots of experience in figuring out how to gather information and piece it together will help them build their unique view of the world over their lifetime. It's not about telling them what to learn, but helping them figure out how to learn. As futurist Alvin Toffler put it, the illiterate of the 21st century will not be those who cannot read and write, but those who cannot learn, unlearn, and relearn. Looking at my kids today, I tell myself they are already living a joyful life. They do understand themselves. They are confident making their own choices. Just try to convince them otherwise. And I see them learning new things every day in pursuit of their interests and goals. Maybe my real job is to keep that spirit alive as they get older, to keep their authentic self shining brightly by protecting them from or countering those who would toss well-meaning, in their view, handfuls of sand on their soul. It seems to me that extending life-learning principles beyond academic bounds and living these goals with my children gives them a much more useful outlook on life and a lot more self-knowledge and life skills to start with than the one offered by school and traditional parenting practices. One that has a better chance of bringing them a joyful life. And that was my goal from the beginning. This article was originally published in The Natural Parent Magazine, Issue 20. The Timetable of Learning. Focus on the Child. Much is made about the building blocks of learning, A to B to C. Humans are drawn to things that proceed in an orderly fashion. There's less confusion and fewer surprises. We know where we've been and we have a good idea of what's coming next. School's curriculum is a great example of this. Yet, in real life, learning doesn't often happen at such a steady pace. Sometimes the learning connections fall into place as quickly as they appear, like A, B, C, D, E, F. 
while at other times it's more like A, B, C, D, E, F. Determination to accomplish something, keeping a child engaged, even in the face of frustration. And is it really an essential order in which to learn things? Plants before animals, fruits before vegetables, counting before shapes, patterns before measurement, North American history before European, oceans before volcanoes, rainforests before deserts. In real life, the order of learning things can vary widely without issue, maybe looking something like C, E, F, B, long stretch, A, D. (laughs) So why are we so attached to curriculum as a definitive timetable of learning for children? The value of curriculum is not that it's A, B, C, D, E, F, order and steady pace closely resemble learning in the wild, but that it's an organized way to move large numbers of students through 12 years of learning facts and skills, efficiently ticking off the requisite boxes. The value of curriculum is found in the schooling process, not the learning process. Another detrimental way in which the schooling process interferes with a child's learning timetable is its intense focus on early reading. From the school's perspective, reading is an important skill for a child to have to be successful in school. Children need to be able to read worksheets and textbooks because that's the system's dominant teaching style, the most efficient way for a teacher to interact with a classroom full of students. Not being able to read fluently means students are disadvantaged in learning every subject. There are textbooks and worksheets to be read for math, science, geography, and history, every subject. Let's step back before school for a moment. Usually young children crawl before they can walk, A, B, C, but not always. For those who skip crawling altogether, A to C, imagine telling them that they need to sit back down and master crawling first. Yet that's the mindset curriculum encourages us to adopt. When you add up a whole bunch of ages at which children learn to walk and divide it by the number of children surveyed, you get the average age at which those children learn to walk. But what does that really tell you? It doesn't mean that the children whose ages lie further from the average are somehow wrong. They're just different. We are pretty accepting of children that walk earlier or later than that average. And just because a curriculum frames learning around the average doesn't mean that falling outside the average is a bad thing, unless you're being graded against it. In the grand scheme of things, later readers are entirely normal. There's a wide range of ages in which children will naturally figure out the reading puzzle. But because of school's need for early reading, students who naturally lie on the older side of the range are made to feel incompetent and broken. The beauty of unschooling is that the school's curriculum timetable is tossed to the wind and we can focus on our child's learning timetable. And if early or even average reading isn't part of their makeup, that's perfectly okay. We don't leave them feeling inadequate, and it in no way impedes their ability to learn other things. We are happy to have conversations with them, to show them how things work, to give them hands-on activities, to watch videos and TV and movies about things they're interested in, to share audiobooks, to take them places they are curious about. 
all the other ways to learn that the school environment is not equipped to provide. Not to mention, we are happy to read for them in the meantime. Now, take that logic and apply it to any other skill you may be concerned about. Writing, tying their shoes, using a calculator. The basic skills and knowledge that are helpful for getting along in our community and society are exactly the things that our children will come across because that's where they spend their days. They aren't sequestered away from the real real world where things need to be introduced to them artificially with the admonition that you'll need to know this someday. That someday appears naturally in the life of an unschooled child, and they learn the related information and, and skills as they move through that day. If the need for that piece of information or that particular skill never does appear, then it wasn't something useful to learn in the first place. Reading, writing, numbers, and many other things are an integral part of our world, and unschooling children will find reasons that are important to them to gain fluency. And that will be much easier without the conventional judgment and shame that happens if their personal timetable doesn't align with the curriculum. If there's a natural order in which to learn some things, say learning to count before learning to add numbers, then that hierarchy exists in the real world. And that's how unschooling children will encounter and make sense of them. In the bigger picture of life, the timetable of learning that matters most is that of the child's, not a generic average curriculum delivered at the same pace day after day. When you support your children as they follow their interests and passions as deeply and as widely as they like, and you patiently give them room to move forward and sideways at their own pace, you will be astonished at the learning that unfolds. It's beautiful. This article was originally published in the Natural Parent Magazine, issue 22. It's titled, Why Not Yes? Being Our Child's Partner. I think yes may be my most favorite word. It just screams engagement in the moment. It says, I'm here. There are so many amazing things that can happen when we say yes. And that definitely includes when we say yes to our children. Yes, let's set up the paints. Yes, let's go outside and play catch. Yes, you can build a fort in the family room. Saying yes to our children is always an opportunity for connection and for fun. Yet often our initial impulse is to say no. No, paint is too messy. Let's get the crayons. No, I can't go outside to play. I need to make lunch. No, I don't want to get all the blankets dirty. Granted, sometimes circumstances call for a no, but not as often as we might think. And if no becomes our default answer, imagine all the things we might miss out on. Pause, take a breath, consider the possibilities. Is there a way to say yes? We always have a choice in how we answer our children, yet it's hard to really call our answer a choice if we don't honestly consider more than one possibility. As adults, we've become accustomed to looking at the moment after the moment and deciding the consequences are too high. But by whose standard? Sure, we can quickly recall all the things on our plate like lunch and laundry and dishes, but 
Are we taking into account the active engagement and real joy that moment could bring our children? There's a line from my book, Free to Learn, that still regularly comes to mind. As the parent, you can take a moment to look at the bigger picture and realize these are wonderful and exciting adventures to your child. More exciting to her than a clean living room would be to you. It gives me goosebumps every time because it reminds me that our children are exploring the world with joy and abandon. Do I really want to discourage that? Do I want to dampen their enthusiasm for engaging in their activities at full throttle? I don't. Not only because I want their days to be joyful, but also because I know that this is where the best learning lives. And that was a big reason why I chose unschooling in the first place. If it becomes our habit to redirect our children rather than to engage with them, unschooling suffers. Their learning isn't as expansive as it could be, and our relationship isn't quite as strong. My point isn't to make anyone feel guilty about saying no, but to encourage parents to make a real choice. There are so many possibilities between yes and no to consider. Yet, if you find yourself saying no regularly, that could be a clue to dig a bit deeper and wonder why. One of the ways we can get into a rut of redirecting our children is through relying on rules. Conventional parenting tips abound about having rules and making sure your children follow them. And it seems logical, at least on the surface. Don't they need to learn boundaries? Aren't there safety issues? Yet one of the many things I've learned through unschooling is that hard and fast rules can get in the way of real learning and solid relationships. So often rules are used as shortcuts, substitutes for thinking in the moment. In this situation, always do that. Well-meaning parents want their children to memorize the right thing to do in a given situation. But what happens when parents aren't around? So often I've seen children choose to break the rule when the parent isn't there to enforce it. And there's no real thinking involved. It isn't about the pros and cons of the action itself, but about who's around to see it. How about when our children get older and encounter new situations? As parents, we can't always predict every possible situation before it happens. I found that they make better choices when they understand the reasoning behind the rules. When they understand the principles involved, when they are adept at anticipating the consequences for both themselves and the people around them, they are much better equipped to analyze situations and figure out a reasonable path forward. They can think for themselves. In fact, when they understand the rationale behind a rule and it makes sense to them, the rule itself isn't really needed. They will choose to do what makes sense because, well, it makes sense. So while rules may seem quick and efficient in the moment, discussing and evaluating situations leads to much more learning. It does take more time, but with unschooling, we're choosing to take that time. We want our children to be able to think for themselves. Not only that, these discussions also improve our relationships because we get to understand each other better as we work through these situations. All great things. Without rules automating our responses, it's easier to take that moment to consider the possibilities, to ask ourselves, why not yes? 
When we choose unschooling as our children's learning environment, we are choosing to be intimately involved in their days. Sometimes that means being directly involved with them in their activities. Other times it means being accessible. Either way, it means being available and willing and genuinely considering our children's requests. When we say yes, not only are we helping them explore the world, we are stepping more firmly into the role of being their partner. In that mindset, I am much less likely to let my own assumptions and fears distort my vision. And from there, I begin to really see the world through my child's eyes. We see the way they are mixing the paint to get the color they envision. We see their abundant energy as they run after the ball time and again and again. (laughs) We see their genuine excitement as they invite us into the fort to see the treasures they've gathered, their favorite book, their pillow and snack, the power cord they've run inside to keep their DS charged and at the ready. These are priceless moments of connection that won't happen if we are not open to them. And without this depth of connection and understanding, our ability to fully support their learning can be hampered. When we don't know them intimately, we don't quite know which suggestions and ideas that come to mind might work better for them. Of course, we aren't always going to be right. We're always learning too. Yet if we're consistently off base, it will become quite obvious to our child that we aren't paying very close attention that we don't really understand them and their trust in us will begin to wither. And without that trust, they won't come to us for help when they have a question or a problem. We will become less and less involved in their lives and learning. Unschooling will suffer. Instead, meet them where they are and help them accomplish their goals. That's where engagement and flow lives where learning and creativity thrives, where strong relationships blossom in that moment. When we do the work to shift beyond the parent-child dynamic and think of ourselves as, as our child's partner in exploring the world, we keep the possibilities open. We find the yes. This article was first published in the Natural Parent Magazine, Issue 19. Finding Patience, Moving at Our Child's Pace Unschooling gives us a lot of freedom to choose how we go about our days with our children. We have the time to shift beyond our own perspective and watch moments unfold through our children's eyes. The view is amazing from there. And one of the things I soon realized was that my children were most interested and engaged, learning, when things were flowing at their pace. In school, one of the biggest challenges teachers face is that there is really only one pace at which they can move their class, the one defined by the curriculum they have to cover in the days allotted. And that average speed will only mesh with a handful of students at any given time, and that handful will vary according to the subject. So more often than not, from the perspective of the individual student, the pace of the class is either too fast or too slow for their learning. Either way, it can be frustrating. And it's not how real learning thrives. Real learning is messy. Sometimes learning connections happen quickly, like dominoes falling, one after another after another. 
Other times, persistence is the name of the game. Sometimes there's lots of talking, questions and answers and theories. Other times, intense concentration demands silence. The beauty of unschooling is that the only pace and style that matters is the child's. How amazing is that? If our child is diving deep and fast into something, we can support them. If they are feeling stumped and frustrated by a challenge, we can support them there too. No matter the circumstances, our children are free to learn at their own pace with their own style. The challenge for unschooling parents comes when we find ourselves out of step with our children. Over the years, I discovered that I managed those moments more gracefully when I was able to shift to finding patience. Finding patience when the kitchen table is taken up by the Monopoly board and your children have vowed that this will be their longest game ever. Finding patience when your child wants to give the monkey bars one more try and one more and one more. Finding patience when your family is enjoying a crisp fall walk in the park and your young child is stopping to examine each fallen leaf on the path. Finding patience when you're waiting to leave and your teen is deeply engaged in conversation with their friends. It's not about patience in the zone out until they're done kind of way, but about realizing that choosing to be patient in the moment gives the process of unschooling time and space to unfold before me with my own children. I love how Ray Davis put it. Patience is not passive waiting. Patience is active acceptance of the process. When I take the time to look for the learning or the self-care that is invariably always there in my children's activities, it helps me to more clearly see the situation from their perspective. That's more learning that I can do. They are choosing this moment and this pace for themselves. Why? As I explore that question, I begin to really see their process, to see unschooling in action. I see how curious they are about making the Monopoly game last. Taking a beat, I realize they'll discover how the game strategies change when all the properties have been purchased, the streets completed, and hotels built. So as dinner time approaches, maybe I suggest a dish up and eat in the family room kind of dinner. Or I offer to carefully move the game onto the living room table. I'm pretty sure we can find a path forward that works for everyone. And the monkey bars, challenging themselves physically is so much fun and their determination is fierce. Why wouldn't I want to support that as much as possible? Sometimes our children are the most amazing examples for slowing down and really seeing what's around us. Stop and smell the roses, or at least join them in wondering as they examine the leaves. Which ones catch their attention the longest? Do they seem attracted by color? Is it shape? Maybe I can bring more of that into their world at home, too. And friends, just imagine how important their conversations may be. Maybe they are sorting out plans or processing emotions or sharing perspectives on a well-loved topic. Even then, it's not so much about the topic, but more about creating and strengthening a genuine connection with people. Maybe they are supporting a friend after a hard day with some relaxing banter. That is living and learning in action. 
When I understand my children's perspectives, I'm much more willing to actively accept that this is the time that unschooling takes. I don't expect them to live and learn on my timetable. The value of unschooling is in helping them explore and discover the pace and style that works best for them. Our patience gives them the time to stay engaged in their activity as long as they like and to sink into the unique flow of their learning. At the heart of it, it's about remembering to pause and ask yourself, why not? Sometimes there is a solid reason and you step in, but often there really is time to let things continue to flow as they are. By regularly choosing patience and taking that time to see how things play out, you will steadily build trust in both unschooling and your children, which helps you reach for patience more easily the next time and the next. Patience is a visible display of respect for and understanding of your child. Their choices in each moment are the culmination of the moments before, flowing with where they are looking to go, and the clearest picture of that is in their head. Support their exploration as much as you can by giving them the unfettered space and time to play and learn at their own pace. That is where the best learning lives. Patience is definitely a valuable tool to have in your unschooling toolbox. Thanks for listening. I hope you found it helpful. You might also like the backlist episodes at livingjoyfully.ca forward slash podcast. While you're there, be sure to check out the second book in my Living Joyfully with Unschooling series, Free to Live, Create a Thriving Unschooling Home. In it, I dive into the four characteristics that I found helped unschooling flourish in our home. Curiosity, patience, strong relationships, and trust. One reviewer wrote, Really enjoyed this short and sweet book. It has marvelous one-liners, and though I'm not an underliner, I found myself underlining on every page. Another said, I believe it would benefit any homeschooler or parent to read this book as it re-emphasizes the importance of the relationship between a parent and a child in the learning process. I plan to reread this book. It is rich and full of gems. Give yourself some time to absorb it before rushing into unschooling. Until next time, have fun living and learning with your family.